Hi, Michael. Yes. Hey, thanks. Uh, you can hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. You have a really nice microphone. Oh, yeah. I I, uh, I was actually just trying to set it up. It's one of those, uh, it's called a Blue Yeti. Um, yeah, I have an earlier view- version of that. I have not now, but normally I record using a Blue Snowball, but uh, I don't have one of those in my car, but I can hear all the bass coming through on your yeah. voice, so that's really nice. So uh, I'm like... Uh, I'm real nervous. I've never, you know, I've always all my life wanted to interview people, but I've never actually done it or I've done it. I dabbled a tiny bit. And uh, so I really appreciate you, uh, you know, being willing to do it. Yeah, no worries. Um, What I don't know is what is your first name? I don't know. I don't. You know, I'm just trying to adjust the mic to make sure it's not hitting too high of levels. Hold on one sec. The levels are high, but you're not distorting. Okay, let me just turn it down. Test. Um, yeah, I don't even know what my first name is really. Like, uh, like I wrote. I usually go under Benji, and uh, when I wrote you, my name was Benjamin. I'm kind of like unsure about everything in my life right now. I've never cool. been this unsure, or if I have been, I haven't. Re- I don't remember it. Okay, how's that going for you? Not, not well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- and that's what I like. Uh, like I said, I, I'm trying to pull my life together and figure things out. And one of the things I want to do was interview people and and go from there. But also, like you know, kind of learn about things I want to learn about while interviewing. That's great. That sounds awesome. And what I read about you is that uh, here I, I actually get this from your bio from your website, um, deconstructing yourself. It says, Michael W. Taft is an author, editor, meditation teacher, and neuroscience junkie. And I love that. <laughs> and it says, you also uh, you also teach at Google sometimes. Yeah, they have a, a pretty comprehensive meditation program and also a re, uh, like a relaxation thing for their employees. So I've uh, done a lot of work with them. So what, what's the W stand for? William, but I always kind of wished it was Wolfgang. And and what stopped you from changing it to that? Oh, you know, <laughs> maybe I will someday. So tell me, can you can you start with? Can you just tell me a little bit about your background, like uh, your like you know your bio? Yeah. Like, so you know, I got involved in meditation about thirty five years ago, just because I was uh, feeling real anxiety in high school, really just not having a good time. And uh, there, back then, there wasn't a lot of meditation teachers available, especially in Michigan, where I'm from. But I had heard about it. And so I uh, read up on it a little bit and uh, just sort of you know, just tried it out myself on my own, sitting there in my room. And uh, it really helped. So um, based on the fact that it helped me overcome a lot of anxiety, I started feeling better and started working with it more. And then... Um, have been doing it ever since in a couple different traditions and also uh, publishing lots of meditation teachers um, working with Sounds True. So um, it's been a a major theme for my whole life. And where'd you go to college? I went to Michigan State University in Lansing, Michigan. And then has, 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 quote, meditation teaching been your kind of professional life? No, my main professional life has been as an author or uh, editorial director at publishing houses and so on. Mainly, you know, uh, working with 
um, people on their teaching programs for meditation or for various psychological stuff. So, um, like I said, I, I, I consider myself really, really, really messed up right now. Yeah, what's going on? Um, I go through like a lot of depression. Um, I think I've been extremely codependent. I think most of my life or a lot of my adult life, I lived as like a sex addict before I got a, in, into a, like a, a serious relationship that meant something to me. And uh, then I became very, very codependent. And so are you broken up from that relationship now? No. Good. I mean, we've gone through ups and downs and, you know, real downs and figuring things out still. But now I realize, like, I'm a mess. But not just from that, from everything in life. Mm-hmm. Like, it actually reminds me a lot, like, when I was a kid, and I've gone through this throughout my life. I'm sure I'm sure you have. I'm sure most people have. Uh, you know, that just being terrified about death. Yeah. And, like, wow. what's, what's, the, what's the point of it all? You know, it's all, it's going to end. How can you enjoy this moment if it's going to end? It's a uh, question that everybody has to face or spend their whole life not facing. Working hard to not face. Yeah, I I think most people don't face it. Yeah. Very much. It takes a a tremendous amount of energy to not face it. And it's where you get a lot of of, uh, compulsive behaviors and addictions and all that is. Uh, one of the reasons is trying real hard to avoid thinking about that. So, so how do you face it? Well, for me, um, working with meditation means you're facing it all the time. And so it becomes much less threatening. Number one, just because just like anything, if you have a bad, um, phobia, One of the main cures, in fact, the one that seems to work the most for most people is just exposure therapy. You just get used to sitting around with the thing you're afraid of. So how do you expose yourself to death? Well, it's not so much exposing yourself to death as exposing yourself to the fear of death. And it's why most people have trouble contacting the present moment. um, Because the present moment is... Uh, really intense, even if you're just like right now, I'm just sitting in my car watching traffic in downtown Oakland. But even in such a mundane setting, the intensity of the light, the birds, the people, you get this real sense of how fragile and beautiful everything is. And so by when you when you let go of being lost in distraction and thinking about tomorrow and thinking about yesterday, but really come into the moment, the present moment, there's a very intimate contact with the fragility and beauty of life. And that's instantly, that fragility part brings up fear of death for a lot of people. And it's, I realize it's not just, you know, it's, it's, it's the ultimate death, but it's the fear of death of everything. You know, it's a fear of, Oh my God, I'm gonna run out of money, or Oh my God, uh, uh, how how you know how am I gonna make a living, or Oh my God, like uh, what's gonna happen to my relationship, like what you know? So it's all fear of death of everything. Yeah, each of those things has its own 
little, uh, we could say, mini fear of the death of that attached to it. That's right. And so this is why, you know, uh, the standard method for handling that is to just distract, 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 get into anything that keeps you from thinking about that. And, you know, it's not like that's a crime or that's a huge um, uh, misstep or something. But I would say that what we see is over time, that isn't that useful of a strategy. It doesn't really hold up over time, uh, especially as you move on in life and you're aging a little bit and eventually friends die. Eventually yeah. you do go through hard stuff and you're brought uh, directly into contact with some of the things you're afraid of and you can't um, distract from them anymore. And so people get steamrollered by that stuff. Uh, and rightly so. It's intense material. But if you are instead of a life of um, distracting from that kind of um, reality, you're actually maintaining contact with it day by day in a very um, um, systematic and open way, you have a much better chance of surfing those kind of waves uh, in a healthy way that feels good. That's that's that's. I kind of feel like I've lived a life of uh, mostly distraction. You know, whether it be food, sex, attention. You know. Yeah, you know, we all we all do. That's our that's our society, right? That's what it teaches us, and we have the best distractions in the world for sure. And, and yeah. I gotta admit, even I'm very interested in in what you're saying, and you know what I the little I read about you on the web, and but there is something about the quietness of it that uh, kind of saddens me. Yeah, talk to me about that. I don't know. There's like something about just the you know you have a real quiet kind of style. And it just and 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 just about the life you're talking about in general, it's just it's kind of scary, you know. Yeah, and that fear is what we're exactly what we're talking about. It's not scary for some unknown reason. It's scary because um, the minute the froth dies down and um, all the hubbub dies down, and you have to sit there alone with yourself at 3 a.m. in your silent room at night, which everyone has to do. Yeah. Uh, all the fears come up and that's what I mean. It's like this whole, uh, um, method and social reinforcement and industry of, um, creating just more and more frothy and, and scintillating distractions exists because people are afraid of that 3am silence. Right. Like, and for again, me... I'm not even saying that's wrong. I think that that's cool. I like, you know, I like playing fallout, you know, yeah. I, like I'm not against any of that stuff, but I'm just saying if you're afraid of silence and quiet and stillness, that's going to own you. Right. You know, now you're now you have a new kind of addiction. You have to be distracted or you're going to get afraid. And what I'm saying is that, you know, making friends with silence and stillness isn't actually that hard. And it will remove an addiction or remove a kind of drivenness that owns you. It's very worth doing. So how do you do it? You know, um, one of the simplest ways is to just let everything stop distracting for a while, you know, turn off 
all the distractions. Just sit with yourself and do something you like. It doesn't even have to be meditating, but like draw or, you know, paint or something. Just something that's very quiet and still and do it a lot, you know, especially if it's very enjoyable, you like it, you're you're feeling fulfilled by it, something good is coming out of it. Um, That can be a nice, gentle introduction. Um, And of course, what I mainly teach people is how to do it through meditation. So what's the difference between, like, you know, if I say, hey, I really enjoy this, you know, TV show I just got introduced to, The Leftovers, and get just getting into that. What's the difference between that and like a distraction? Well, I would say none. That is a distraction. Um, it's fun and it's interesting, and there's no reason not to do that. And I love to binge watch TV shows. However, if what you're looking for is to make friends with stillness and silence, that's a lot of noise, a lot of emotional intensity. So to me, there is no difference. That's a distraction. So when you're saying like an activity, like like something... Very quiet, very slow, very still, um, like drawing or photography, something that you're just doing by yourself, really quiet, um, that is enjoyable. So do you consider yourself kind of friends with the stillness now? Absolutely. That's the whole point. Um, This stillness and silence that is so terrifying to everyone um, is your best friend. Once you begin to be able to sit with that and just relax and open and allow this fear of everything, the fear of uh, your work running dry, the fear of your relationship breaking up, the fear of dying, the fear of all the stuff that can happen. Um, And you can just sit and relax with that. Over time, it starts to die down. It's not so terrifying. It's not so awful. And instead, a kind of Um, peacefulness and stillness that you've almost never experienced starts to arise. And by over time, is it two months, 20 years? Like how long does it take? Depends on the person, depends on how afraid they are, depends on how willing they, you know, are to engage, but it could happen right during this phone call if you wanted it to. Well, I know it's happened momentarily at times, but it's never lasted, you know? Well, that's because you're not pursuing it as a strategy. You know, it's just an accident. Um, Whereas when you pursue it as a strategy, you're going to be able to access it at will. It becomes a cultivated skill. And so just like anything, just like getting better at playing golf or getting better at um, uh, doing radio interviews, you, you know, get used to doing this stuff. You can get better at making friends with silence and stillness. So do you think some people can leave a lead a distracted life all their life and just have a happy, fun life in sure. a light way? Sure. Is that happening for you? No. <laughs> Is that happening for anyone you know? I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know anybody like that, but I'm sure it's possible. And do you think the kind of happiness you have facing this stuff is happier than you are when you're distracted? 
I don't know anymore because, you know, even when I'm distracted, my deep foundation is in stillness. I know if the distraction goes away, I'll still be fine. Whereas if um, you're addicted to distraction, you get real nervous when the distraction ends. Right. So we're, we're like, what's a mund like, 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 like in your own life, like what's like kind of the last serious mundane worry you've had that this, you can say like, you know, because of the way I think now, it might not have affected me as much as, or in the same way as someone doesn't have this foundation. Uh, I have all the same mundane worries as anybody else. Um, but I feel like uh, if they come up at 3 a.m. and they wake me up and there I am and the room is quiet and still and filled with um, this fear of various things, including the fear of dying, I'm okay with that. It actually feels good to me. And not in some kind of weird, morbid way, but in the way of like, oh, here, you know, I'm awake and alive in this present moment, and it's beautiful. And how do you how do you make plans? Like when you're always in the present, how do you make plans for the future? Um, you make plans for the future just the way anybody else does. You just have to think about the future. But you can do that in a very embodied way, so you're still feeling your body. You're still feeling the fact that you are, let's say, sitting at a desk with your computer, you're still noticing uh, moment by moment your emotions, you're really clear about what thoughts are arising. So you're very anchored in the present uh, while planning for the future. And in fact, you know, neuroscience backs this up that all our future planning requires being able to feel our body because actually we're using our emotions to plan the future. In other words, um, if I am sitting there imagining a future in which everyone I love um, has a bad accident, I'm going to notice that I feel bad emotionally about that. Whereas if I'm planning a different future in which um, everyone is healthy and happy, I notice that makes me feel good. So I'm going to choose B because that's the feel-good future. And uh, some, uh, you know, that's like a, a a cartoon version of what I'm talking about, but some version of that is how we make all decisions. We check in with our feelings about that outcome and decide on that basis. So are, are you saying that you, you always try to go for the positive? Is that, I, I, I didn't quite understand that. Like, no, I'm saying that all human beings, uh, make their decision based on affective forecasting, uh, as it's called psychologically. And that is, no matter how rational you are, you're still feeling which outcome seems like it would feel better or right. make you happier kind of thing. And so you actually, everyone's checking in with their feelings when they are um, planning anything for the future. But for most people, that is very unconscious. It's not like you're aware that you're doing that. Um, whereas after you do quite a bit of meditation, particularly meditation on emotions, um, that becomes really conscious. You notice the, the feelings uh, in the present moment in your body that you're working with when you're planning. So do you think like, uh, like it's, this sort of seems like it's like the basis for everything. Which this? 
I don't know. <laughs> like like this kind of feeling of the way you deal with like fears. Yeah, it it is. I mean, all human beings are spending all day long just trying to manage their emotions. Yeah. I'm do the stuff that makes me feel good and not do the stuff that makes me feel bad. And, you know, that, that'll get you through life, but it's not necessarily um, the best thing to have guiding every moment in a really unconscious way. Getting in touch with that much more clearly and much more uh, deeply and with a lot more sensitivity about what feelings are arising and maybe why can really help get you on the ground. So when I when I said like a mundane worry, like and like living living in the real world, but also just being kind of living I don't know if you have names for the other you know, kind of the eternal world in a way. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really um talk uh, about that aspect of things because it's all speculative. So let's just Well, talk I, I, about... I don't mean I don't mean the afterlife. I mean okay. I mean kind of living in the reality of like it's all like a you know it could everything could, could crumble you know yeah, okay mm-hmm. in other words facing reality yeah like <laughs> okay here i'll give you like like this is to me like a funny thing i thought of once like i was i was shopping for socks once and i was really like uh oh my god like i, I couldn't decide should i get ankle length socks or calf length socks I, I was like, oh my, which, which socks will look better? Which socks will feel better? And then I was like, on the other hand, I'm also worried about dying. How do you, you know, when you, like, do you care about how you look? Sure, I care about all the things that any human being cares about. So how do you apply kind of your thought to caring about like what you look like like you know things like that like to me um being able to get in touch with how you're feeling which is one of the things that the type of meditation that i do is very good at um you get in touch with your feelings uh even little tiny sensitive hints of feelings makes all that kind of thing like choosing clothing or wanting to feel uh, attractive, all that much easier to deal with because it's just so straightforward. Oh, I, I feel those emotions arising. I feel those certain needs. Okay. You know, that's, that's how a human being works. Let's see how we feel about it. So it how, doesn't, it how, doesn't turn you numb. It makes you more sensitive. How do you deal with it when you feel you're not good enough? Um, so everyone has those feelings sometimes, right? And what you want to do is begin to notice the emotions that um, are behind those thoughts in your head. So the words, you know, I'm not good enough are going to arise after some feeling in your body. So you're going to um, notice the feeling in your body like some kind of emotion or a sense of inadequacy or a fear. And then you'll notice, oh, I'm not good enough. Those words arise in your mind. And over and over again, those two, two things go together. And so over time, you just start investigating that, where's that fear coming from that I'm not good enough? And um, as you investigate that, it begins to sh- um, come undone. It begins to dissolve or lose its potency. 
and becomes much less of a driving force. It's still there because that's how human beings are, but it doesn't own you in the same way that it did previously. Hmm. So like, so it doesn't matter as much. Interesting way to put it. I would just say it doesn't um, drive your behavior as much. So like the whole point of what I'm saying is that for most people, um, there's a lot of unconscious drives and a lot of unconscious um, triggers and a lot of unconscious pain that is making them behave in certain ways. Uh, uh, let me give you an example, another, like an example, like. I, I'm overweight. I'm fat. I hate being fat because I feel ugly and very unappealing. So that drives me to, you know, sometimes I do lose weight and get in better shape. But is that is that a bad way to motivate myself? Hey, if it gets the job done, you know, that's good. And that has health benefits and um, social benefits and I assume you feel less bad about yourself when you lose weight but there's no that. ultimate way to to win do you know what I mean uh, no I don't know what you mean I mean you're 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 never gonna get listen I have a lot of weight to lose so it's not like I'm so close to perfection <laughs> but it's like you're, you're you're never gonna be satisfied well right okay I see what you're saying and yet you can get some benefit out of doing that is where I'm starting. Like, okay, lose some weight. That's cool. It feels good. But any motivation where it's real negative like that, where you just feel like shit and want to, and sort of like almost like driving yourself with this negative talk in the end where uh, it will grind you down. And, it, and as you say, there's no way to win because because you're motivating yourself with negative self-talk, there's always more negative self-talk available. Like, like, like uh, you're a meditation teacher. Is that is that a one way you describe yourself? A yeah. Meditation. Okay. You bet. But I assume you might feel there's always going to be another. You know, as good as I get, there might be another a better med meditation teacher. Does it? Does yeah. that bother you? Here's the thing. You know, you want to begin to accept where things the way they are. That's the whole point of the present moment. Um, even if they can change tomorrow and it's important to change them, right now it is the way it is. Just like right now I have to deal with the reality of death. Right now I have to deal with the reality that I'm afraid of this or that. Right now I have to deal with I'm as fat as I am or I'm as ugly as I am or I'm as whatever as I am. And just let that be real and okay. Now, maybe some of the self-talk is much more damaging than and exaggerated than the case really is, you know, and that's something you want to work on. But as a meditation teacher, um, I would, or as someone who meditates, the whole point is to learn to accept what's happening right now, the way it is, because right now it's not any different than that. And every minute that you're sitting there pushing for it to be different than it is right this moment is a, a minute you're not in this moment. Yeah, that's that sort of gets to what I was asking before. Like, how can you accept what is 
but also have a goal to change it. Well, it turns out that that sounds real paradoxical, but it's really easy. You know, it's um, the you can accept that it is the way it is and you can accept that you have feelings about it that want you to change it later. Right. You can those feelings are part of the present moment, too. So um, the motivational feelings, you're not denying those. Those are still there. They're part of what's going on. But it's very different to feel open enough and spacious enough to accept that you both have changings that you uh, feelings that you want it to change and that it is the way it is than to like just feel all caught up in it. And what if there's a reality of like you want something? Like let's say uh, I don't know if you were into sports growing up, but let's say you really wanted to be a professional baseball player. Uh huh. And realistically, you're like, I just I'm not good enough. I can never be a professional baseball player. How how does how does how do you how do you accept that? Well, it's a long process, but one of the main ways is simply over time telling yourself you have to accept that Um, but not in a white knuckle mean kind of way like you know you idiot you have to accept that it's an opening of relaxing and saying well that's not the reality so let's feel into that and feel the feelings that arise when i you know open up to that Uh, yet we all know that if you accept that thing that's never gonna happen you're much better off as, as an American, there's some kind of idea that you're a loser if you accept that. But to me, you're a winner. It's like, hey, that's never going to happen. So, so, let's, so how do you, what, what's the difference between a dream and accepting? You know, is there anything uh, that, that was a dream for yours that you just said, you know what, I have to accept it won't happen? Sure. Lots what, of stuff. Like what? Um, I'd like to be a rock star. You know, that'd be okay. great. Um, and but but you don't sound like you have like a lot of emotion about that. Like, is there anything you've ever had a lot of emotion I, about? No, I, I used to have a lot of emotion about that kind of stuff, but that's what acceptance brings. It's like, okay, that's not um, driving me. That's not uh, eating my guts out anymore. It's like, okay, now it's cool. So when when there was a time that you were pursuing like like it as a serious thing or. Yeah. And, um, and, and why stop? Because that wasn't going to happen. You know, that wasn't going to be the way things manifested and that got clear. And once it's clear, um, then it still hurts. It's a loss, right? Anything that was a dream. And I'm sorry, by the way, I'm sorry that I, I thought you were just using rock star as a, uh, you know, as a common expression that people do. So I don't mean to make, I didn't mean to make light of your emotion. Oh, no, 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 whatever. Um, that's fine. Um, but what I'm saying is that that's reality, right? And I don't mean it in a mean way or some kind of oppressive way. I mean it in a light way. Like, hey, some things are just reality and you just got to get used to it. You might have cancer uh, and... And it's good. You could treat it and get rid of it. I got to say, this is a superstition of mine. I, when someone says something like that, I have to say, God forbid, take it back. But go ahead. Okay. Okay. Someone else might have cancer. And it's like, um, uh, even for them, I'll give them a, I hope they don't. God forbid. We, we just devoked that. Okay. 
Um, yeah, you know, the thing is that even though uh, they're going to get rid of it, they're going to cure it, they're going to do everything in their power to overcome it, right now they have to accept that diagnosis. And that's just the way it is. And the, so there's a kind of um, relaxing into reality that's the basis of this. And that's what I'm talking about, spaciousness and silence and stillness. That is, you must make friends with it. Well, what? And I appreciate you. We've been talking for a while now, and I, 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 uh, I know you said you have about forty minutes, and we're getting towards that. Um, what should I do today to be a little bit better? What should Always. anyone do today that's listening to this? Yeah, um, take five minutes and turn off your phone and turn off your TV and turn off every single distraction you have and sit and just feel your breathing, feel your feet on the floor, feel uh, your butt on a chair and just feel yourself breathing and your mind will probably go crazy and it might be very uncomfortable, but see if there's any part of that that actually feels good like does it feel good to relax does it feel good to have no hubbub going on just try it for even one minute and i guarantee it will be uncomfortable if you're used to being real distracted so it's not that it's going to be a magic miracle happy moment but just see how um how it feels to just contact your body and your breathing so feel your feet on the floor feel your butt on the chair feel your breathing and just be for a minute try it right now while i'm talking about it okay so i actually got a little distracted while we were, while you're saying that so i'm gonna try to do that so uh start out by feeling your feet on the floor okay i have shoes on so so feel the inside of your shoes Okay, I'm feeling Or your that. socks. And just notice each foot individually. Seems ridiculous. Why feel your feet? Well, because it's going to bring you into the present. And then feel your butt on the chair if you're sitting in a chair. You can feel your clothes on your body. And feel the gravity kind of pressing you gently into the chair. And then just get in touch with your breathing and the fact of your breathing. So not ideas about breathing, but for example, feel your belly rising and falling slightly. And do this all in a very light way. And just for a minute, wake up to the present moment. And all I mean by that is just notice that you're here now. And I can do it for a second, but it also can quickly get scary. Like, oh, my God, I got to take care of this. Oh, my God, I, I can enjoy this, but this is going to happen if I just sit here and enjoy this. Okay, but, you know, you can do it for a minute. Yeah. No, I can, do it, for, I can do it for 10 years. No, but, but you can do it for a minute, and all the things you're worried about will still get taken care of. Right. So try it for one minute. Okay, so I'm going to start, and you'll tell me when a minute is gone, okay? Yep. So you're just feeling your body, you're feeling your breathing, and you're waking up to the present moment. And it's a feeling like waking up, like, 
you're here now. You can, with your eyes, you can notice the room around you. With your body, feel your body. Feel the breathing, hear the sounds outside. But just keep being right here. Not anywhere else. Not anywhere else. Just keep waking up to being right here. Even if fear arises, see if you can kind of relax into that a little bit. Like, yep, right here, right now. Yep, just sit in my chair. Okay, that's your minute. Thanks. I, I find it very easy, but in the middle of a crisis, like in my mind or like a real thing going on, I don't know how easy it will be. Well, that's a matter of practice. So if I said, um, yeah, learn to play piano, but do it right now in front of 10,000 people, that'd be a lot harder than saying practice at home alone. Right. And it's the same thing with meditation. You just did a minute of meditation. If you sit and practice when you're relatively not in a crisis, um, then when you are in a crisis, it will be much easier to deal with both the crisis or sitting and meditating. Each will be easier because of that. So uh, what things, you know, I'm going to put the, put out this interview, if it's okay with you. Sure. And uh, what things, you know, would you like, you know, the little things, like would you like your website mentioned? Like what things would you like people to know about you? Um, yeah, two things. One is a blog called Deconstructing Yourself. Um, that has articles from me and my friend Jessica, who also is a mindfulness teacher, meditation teacher. Um, and uh, so that blog and then my book, The Mindful Geek. So themindfulgeek.com and, um, and the book itself, which is an introductory manual to mindfulness meditation that doesn't have any religion or superstition in it. Okay, so the, the book is called Mindful? It's called The Mindful Geek. The Mindful Geek, like, like G-E-E-K. Yep. And uh, it's at themindfulgeek.com. Mm -hmm. And your blog is called? Deconstructing Yourself. Deconstructing Yourself. And is that deconstructingyourself.com? Yep. Okay, great. So I'm going to say it one more time. Mindful Geek, I'm sorry, themindfulgeek.com. Themindfulgeek.com. And deconstructingyourself.com. And I'm going to talk to Michael W. Taft. It's now Michael William Taft. It might one day be Michael Wolfgang Taft. <laughs> yes. And uh, any advice for me on doing this more of this? Like w what I did well, what I did wrong? Yeah, my advice would just be uh, you're not doing it wrong and just as much as you can. Tune into the present moment and relax. Well, I was about to say, but maybe that's what you meant for, for my whole life. I meant for interviewing someone. But I guess oh. that's what you meant in a way for that too. Or maybe it could be. Yeah, what I love about what you did interviewing people um, is that you were using the questions that are most important to you. Okay. And you're, so you're coming from a real sincere place about what matters to you. And that means it will, other people will have exactly the same questions and issues and they'll sense the authenticity. So that was great. Thank you. And, and one day, if you're up for talking again, I one when you said in your bio, you're a neuroscience junkie, 
I want to learn some wacky mind stuff that I don't even realize is possible. So and, I read a book by my friend David McGraney called You Are Not So Smart. Okay. It's an awesome book. Um, you'll love it. He has a big podcast and so on, so you can listen to his stuff too. But You Are Not So Smart by David McCraney. Okay, thanks. And I, I want to once again uh, give out your your stuff. Oh, do you have a Twitter also, a Twitter handle? I think you do because I followed you, right? Yeah. Do, so, you, do you like um, to give that out too? Sure. Uh, the one for the blog is decon- uh, Deconstructing You like the letter U, um, not Y-O-U. And the one for me personally is Oort Cloud Atlas. So let's just do the Deconstructing You. Okay. So Deconstructing You on Twitter, DeconstructingYourself.com, TheMindfulGeek.com, Michael W. Taft. And what's your form of meditation called? Like you said, you have a particular form of meditation. Um, Mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness meditation. And uh, what are you doing right now? We're going to hang up. What are you going to do? I'm going to go have lunch with my girlfriend. And who's your girlfriend? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's okay if you don't want I- I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. What do you have for lunch? I don't know. Okay. Well, I hope it's a good lunch. Thanks. And and thank you. very. I really appreciate it. I, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I hope we can talk again. And, and uh, this is Benji, Benjamin. Benji Bronk, B-R-O-N-K. That's my Twitter, Bronk. That's and, a good Twitter, by the way. Oh, thanks. I, I, I do love my last name. I'm happy with it. That's something I'm happy with, Bronk. It's a great last name, <laughs> B-R-O-N-K. It's very solid. Very memorable. And as a podcaster, you should probably just call yourself Bronk. Yeah, well, I don't know. I like I like both, but we'll see. But uh, I've been talking to Michael Taft, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. All right. Have a good one, Benji. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.